0: It's Dr. Stu's podcast With Dr. Stuart Fishbine. That would be me And my protege, Bliss Young Hi Hi <laughs> <laughs> You can, uh, this is podcast number 133 Can you believe it, it's 133 We're going to have John turn the volume down a little bit And uh, you can find us on iTunes You can find us on Facebook You can find us at drstuspodcast.com You can write to us at Ask Dr. Stu That's askdrstu S-T-U at gmail.com You can reach Bliss at
1: birthingbliss.com and Instagram Birthing Bliss Mid, free. and guess what what you're I, on Instagram
0: I have an Instagram account now IG I'm, I'm into it I'm, you I'm, are into I'm it just, I've just I've done it I've made the leap
1: and how many posts do you have <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm only following six people
1: <laughs> that's okay it builds it builds because
0: if, yeah because if I follow everyone it's funny I have like I didn't even do anything and I had like 240 people are following me
1: yeah people like you yeah. you're special
0: yeah yeah. We're going to try to get up to a million.
1: I love it. It's a goal.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. We're
1: going to take a picture. No, I
0: just buy them. <laughs> Do you know that my daughter told me you can buy Instagram followers. You can. What's, what's the point of that? Uh, For advertising? So you can sell advertising?
1: It makes you look more
0: popular. But it's fake. It's false. It's faux.
1: I know, but a lot of people wouldn't know that. But, however, if you're trying to make money off your Instagram like by having people like support you with products and stuff like that, they know. They're the ones who know, but the people who are just normal. So, what if if
0: you legitimately have a lot of listeners, followers on on Instagram? How would the advertiser not think that they were fake?
1: (laughs) I don't know. They know. They're on the end. They know which ones are fake. There's a way to. There's a like a way to figure out which ones. They like start. They have like
0: a little star after their name. A little a little. Uh,
1: I don't know that much about it.
0: Apostrophe. I
1: don't know. But we are going to take a picture today and post it to both of our Instagram accounts.
0: Oh yeah, we we really dressed up for the occasion, didn't we? That's why I,
1: I, I thought you'd mention what you called my dress when I walked in, and all women will understand why I corrected him. What did you call it? A moo-moo. Yes. <laughs> Cute girls don't wear moo-moos.
0: Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> So forgive me. I just thought it was a Hawaiian thing that you wear over over like well, uh, a very comfy thing to wear in warm weather.
1: If you're from Hawaii and I am offending you, and, I, and he's correct, you let me know. But as far as I knew, it's not. It's kind of like the Kmart special. You get a moo moo. Oh. This is a cover up. All right.
0: Well, I apologize.
1: That's okay. You stand corrected. <laughs> but we will put a picture of our casual attire here. You guys will see how dressed up we get for the occasion.
0: Well, we're happy to be back. It's a big week. Um, a couple of big things happening um, in our world. Um, yeah. One is, uh, and we'll get to it later, is that my paper on uh, 60 brief, breach and 109 home cephalic deliveries was published.
1: Very exciting. It's very
0: exciting. It's yeah. like giving. It's like the closest I can get to giving birth, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, it took a long time, yeah, didn't it? Yeah,
0: it took a year, a year and a day.
1: That's amazing. It was
0: actually one day, a year later, that we submitted it, and it was accepted one year and one day after we submitted it.
1: Wow. And when did you guys start the process of like collaborating and writing? Because that's when you submitted it.
0: Well, I submitted it in September of 2017. And so I I probably did most of the writing before that, and then I brought Rixa on board. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's a genius <laughs> with statistics and, and, uh, and data and facts. And I needed that. And so the paper actually came out oh, very happy with it.
1: How long did it take you guys for that process, the writing process? Oh, not, not long, because I already
0: had most of uh, the prose done. And so what mm-hmm. she did was she took my data, mm-hmm. and then she did statistical analysis on it. And she had, I think, her sister or somebody do some graphs and some tables. So a very professional tables if I do say so myself they look good they're not too busy Mm -hmm. you know sometimes papers can have too much data Mm -hmm. gets really busy I think that this I'm really happy with the way it came out and it's got a green thing at the top so it's really pretty and it's on BMC pregnancy and childbirth but you can find the link at uh, birthinginstincts.com we have a banner up now at the very top Um, and also on my Facebook page and uh, we'll link it to the Dr. Stu's podcast Facebook page as well we'll get to that later but first we have to talk about some other stuff because I'll
1: take a picture. And put that on Instagram of how oh, I, already do, I
0: already have a link on Instagram. Oh, you can find me at Instagram by the way at Birthing Instincts or what is it like Birthing Instincts or no. Birthing Instincts?
1: No, just say Birthing Instincts.
0: Birthing Instincts. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say add or hashtag Mm-mm. or anything like that. Mm-mm. Right,
1: I'll, we'll talk more about that. I'll figure hashtag it out. All
0: that. Yes, I'm also speaking tonight, which will be not tonight by the time this podcast airs, uh, at a screening of the Heads Up documentary uh, in Santa Barbara. I love so, that documentary. It's a great people one. who wanted to come. You missed out, and those of us because <laughs> it's over. And uh, those of you who came, thank you for coming. And by the way, I do want to. Th- I, I meant to say this before. I want to thank all of the, the people that listen to our podcast. Um, I get. A, I'm getting a lot of stroking and kudos and emails sub- in support of what we do, and missing us when we're not doing it enough. So, you know, to those people that actually listen to what we're, we have to say, we, uh, I really do appreciate you. It's very we gratifying.
1: Can. Yeah, we appreciate I don't get to see all the you Well, I emails, don't want to speak for you. Unfortunately.
0: I get in trouble when I speak for you.
1: We'll see. Sometimes <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> like today when I'm brain dead.
0: Yeah. Well, um, why are you brain dead? Let's, let's talk a little bit about why Bliss is brain dead today. Oh
1: my goodness. What a week you're having. What a week. So I keep my practice really small. I um, take two to three clients a month. Um, this particular month I had three home birth clients and I also took on a doula client that, um, Elliot Berlin, who's one of the people who made the heads up documentary. If you missed
0: missed the Santa Barbara thing tonight, you missed Elliot as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he referred this woman to me and I, I, took her on. So I actually had four deliveries, um, potentially in October. And then one of my September moms went post dates.
0: Yeah, I know about that one.
1: I know we're going to talk about that. We did a little collaboration on this, mom. Um, and so last Monday, um, we were she was post dates, and we I had to kind of turn my care over to you because. In California, I can only take care of her until 42 weeks. So, Saturday before we had talked about um, did we want to push labor? Did we want to bring you in? How did we want to manage this? And she decided that she wanted to have you come on and be part of the team so that she could continue with her home birth plan. Um, and I would not get arrested for taking care of her, <laughs> which is my plan. I don't plan to get arrested for doing anything illegal. Um, so you don't
0: even have to be doing things illegal to get arrested these days. So. Oh god,
1: don't start me. <laughs> Um so yeah, because
0: yeah, later on if we have time today I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the uh, assembly or the the AB 277, you know, mm-hmm. the um vaccine thing and what's happening with that and mm-hmm. and how doctors are getting really beat up upon by the medical board for doing what's actually legal but Out of favor with the with the medical board, so the medical board is coming down on them. So I was just I was sort of joking, but I wasn't really joking. Yeah. By the way, I do want to add that when Bliss does give informed consent to her clients, I've watched her do it. Uh, She is one of the best informed consenters that Mm. I've (laughs) that I've ever met. You Mm -hmm. do have a way. I told you this the other day that you have a way of talking to people, which is really great. Mm. And people who listen to you on the podcast can hear, I'm sure, can hear in, in your voice too how how thoughtful and how uh, honest you are. So you. you are. Thank you. are.
1: Thank you. I just, you know, I really just believe in choice. And I, I'm trying the best I can in my um, practice to make sure that my own personal feelings, fears, concerns are not affecting their ability to have choice. Um, and I think that that's what we should be doing as providers.
0: Which makes you more thoughtful than about 99% of people mm. practicing my profession. Mm-hmm.
1: Obstetrics. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I have this one mom who's post dates and then another mom who's starting to have pretty, pretty regular contractions every night. This is on Monday. By Wednesday, they call me to go over and come and be with them because their contractions are regular enough. And I go and I check her and she's early prodromal labor and kind of help them get more comfortable and learn a little bit more about what this period of time is going to look like and relaxing. At the same time, the other mom, the post-dates mom decides that she's going to get induced the next morning at the hospital. And so we have this great team, um, myself, Hayes, who teaches classes with me and often assists me and Julie who often assists me. Um, We were going to be her support team and Julie's doing postpartum support. And um, so, She wants to make sure that even though she's giving up her home birth, that she's still going to be able to have our team be there. And I assured her that we were. So Hayes and I are managing the other delivery Wednesday, Thursday night, Friday. We're on and off at her house trying to help her get into an active labor pattern. Um, Eventually on Friday, she decides that she's ready to transport. She had been stuck at five centimeters for most of that day. Um, And we, you know, tried everything, castor oil herbs, stimulation, walking, dancing, making out, sexual kind of stuff, getting things going. I mean, they really did. She was amazing. She did so much to, to have her baby at home and then eventually surrendered to accepting some support. So it turned out that these two clients that I had been worried about what's going to happen with their two labors ended up being in the hospital two doors down from each other. And um, I continued to manage their deliveries running down the hall back and forth. They both were ready to deliver basically at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I'm just laughing because I, I could just picture that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the odds of that happening nine months ago were so remote
1: right 38 right. and a half weeker and a 42 2 and a half weaker. Right. right right so um and you know when when you start to get concerned about things overlapping so often me and at least the the people that I work with you and all the other midwives that I work with you know we're just like okay the universe is going to just handle this we got to let go and n- try not to worry and just show up for each moment and whatever happens is what's going to happen
0: yeah it's like trying to schedule a podcast
1: <laughs> especially with me <laughs> and me. no it's it's true
0: it is it's very much like and carla you know, how many times do we schedule a podcast and then, and then reschedule it i've
1: so. been thinking like how do you do a podcast for people who are birth workers it's just not an easy thing to do so again as Stu mentioned earlier we apologize for not being more consistent we really are doing our best um So, they delivered within two hours from each other, two completely different deliveries, um, both vaginal. um, And then, you know, you're like, okay, the delivery's happening. We're going to get to go home and go to sleep, you know. And um, the second delivery with the mom who was post-dates, her baby came out basically with an APGAR of zero. And uh, the hospital was doing a resuscitation. I got reprimanded by an obstetrician at that hospital for being distracting because I was going back and forth between the two rooms, and she basically, in the most condescending way possible, asked me to choose one of my clients to support, and I I told her that I couldn't. I I was there to support both of my clients, and I would do the very best I could to wear an invisible cloak down the... (laughs) hallway i didn't say that but you have any any,
0: and you told me this story do you have any concept of what her motive was to tell you that that sort of comment because how distracting can it be for you to walk in and out of a room that's exactly what that doctor is doing because from what i understand that doctor was the hospitalist so she's taking care of essentially everyone that was in labor at that time
1: yeah i mean true so she's
0: walking in and out of all the rooms True.
1: i mean i think she just said that But really, what had happened in the other room before this delivery um, was that after the baby was born, the nurse was very nervous. This particular hospital doesn't have a NICU department, and... um, she was saying that some of the things that were going on with the baby were abnormal and that they might have to transport this baby to another hospital
0: and this was the 38 and a half weeks yeah right and
1: the baby was fine the baby was totally fine and so I was advocating for um, this family and told them that they might want to call their private pediatrician and just because we have a lot of pediatricians that we work with that will come to the home and you know will take private phone calls and do really great work. And so I said, you might want to call your private pediatrician and just help th- have them help you assess what's happening with the situation before you agree to a transport, because then the mom and baby would have been separated. And we know a lot of times that, you know, they're being conservative on these things. And then it affects breastfeeding and the mom resting. And it's just if we can avoid them going to NICU in an unnecessary situation, then I'm going to definitely stand up and advocate for them. And so I think the postpartum nurse was a little unhappy that I was not necessarily supporting everything that she was saying. And I wasn't confrontational with her, but they don't like it. They just don't like
0: it. No, they don't like it because yeah. they they are, first of all, they're they are not necessarily trained that well. They're also nervous. And they're also, um, the idea is they're probably getting from on high on down that mm-hmm. any baby that even blinks improperly. <laughs> Because we don't have a NICU, we should we should transport. Mm-hmm. And they have a they have a, a a good transport relationship with children with, is it Children's Hospital?
1: Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to mention hospitals, but yeah.
0: Well, you can mention the transport relationship yes. with Children's Hospital. Yes.
1: No, no, not Children's. Um, Miller Long Beach.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I stand corrected, but but they have a good transport relationship, so it's easy for them to do it. So the easier it is for them to do it. Why accept any responsibility whatsoever? I mean, this is the thought process that a lot of people have. It's why a lot of OBs will will get consults for things that they're perfectly well-trained for to do. Mm-hmm. Like a woman who's developing preeclampsia or has, uh, has is small for gestational age, they will, they will send them off to get maternal fetal medicine consults to sort of spread the responsibility around, even though that's exactly why they went to all that training right. is to take care of these sorts of things. Right. So. You know, I'm just I'm sort of generalizing and uh, uh, I, you know I wasn't there so I but I just have exp- I've been there yeah you know, not in this particular case, but yeah. we've all anybody that's been practicing and has transported has seen sort of the the difference in anxiety that you feel with a baby that needs a little bit more attention in at home you just deal with it in the hospital they they want to punt it.
1: Yeah. Well, this actually, this baby was great. So that's the, that was the thing that was frustrating for me most is that there wasn't really, the next baby that I'm going to talk about, you know, really did have some issues, but this one was great. One of the other things that happened during the delivery with the midwife, oftentimes if I'm supporting somebody at the hospital, I'll do warm compresses on their perineum while they're pushing like we do at home. And, you know, if the provider comes in, I say, you know, just let me know if you want me to move out of the way. Cause obviously I'm not doing the delivery and I don't want them to think I'm being possessive of the perineum or something, you know? So the midwife came in and I said, let me know if you want me to get out of the way. And she said, no, you're fine. But when the delivery actually happened, she was the one who caught the baby. And um, Well, that's
0: nice. So this, so again, we're not mentioning hospital names, Mm-mm. but but they have a midwife.
1: Yeah, they have several midwives. Which is,
0: which is, you know, great.
1: Yeah, some of them are better than others. Well, that's, uh, yeah. that we know. This one was great. Um, I really liked her. I thought she was great. Um, but when the baby went up on her chest and... Then I heard her say something about the cord. They were going to cut the cord. It had been two minutes. They had requested delayed cord clamping. They said, it's been two minutes. Let's cut the cord. And I reached over and touched the cord. And I said, hey, your cord is still, the cord is still pulsing, because I think one of them had said, we'd like it for it to finish pulsing. So I felt it. And I said, the cord is still pulsing. And so I sh- showed the dad what I was feeling. And then the midwife and the dad started to get into it about whether or not the cord was actually pulsing. Um, And it went on and on and on. So I think that- We bought some extra
0: time with the argument.
1: (laughs) Um, and the, the mom was so sweet. She's like, please, can we just give it five more minutes? You know? And it's like, you know, what's, why not? Is the question. Yeah. Why not? Like why, what was the big deal to just kind of leave it? But you know, I know that you get into a rhythm of how you do things (laughs) and, um, how we do it. You know, it's no big deal. We just leave the placenta next to them for hours until we're ready to cut the cord. But I know in the hospital, they have different ways, you know, ways of managing things. So this was throwing her system off. And that probably was another reason why they were frustrated with me because I was the one who pointed out that it was still pulsating.
0: Was the doctor in the room for that delivery? No. So someone must have spoken to the doctor. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yes. Okay.
1: So the staff has said that you've been difficult and we would really appreciate it. And she was like, I understand that you have a license that you worked really hard for and you've taken such good care of (laughs) these clients. She was being condescending. No. So condescending. But anyway. How do you
0: know? Maybe you just misinterpreted her.
1: No. I'm really good with body <laughs> yeah, language. you are actually. Plus, when I went to touch her arm and I was being like kind, like, you know, I hear what you're saying, she actually recoiled from me. So it was very obvious. Um, and then we had requested that this particular person not be in the delivery. I didn't, the, the parents did on the next delivery that we wanted the midwife that we had just delivered with because she wanted to have a midwife and not a doctor. Um, they did not honor that request which was appropriate in hindsight because of the delivery and what was going on with the baby. But no one even said anything to her. No one even said, we know that you'd really like to have the midwife, but we're going to send the obstetrician in because of this tracing. The person that they asked not to be there just showed up and delivered her baby. So, um, you know, those kinds of things are, are challenging when you're in in a hospital. So there I am standing next to this woman who's basically just reprimanded me and recoiled from me. And I'm trying to support my client and I'm trying to really be on my best behavior and keep my mouth shut and really just support my client um, in having a great delivery. And this is the one that the APGAR scores were basically zero and they needed to do a a resuscitation. Um, Unfortunately, it was not handled very well. And, you know, we know how to do a resuscitation. We know the NRP standards. We know how it's supposed to go. And um, they were very delayed and fumbling. And um, it took everything that I had not to step in and, you know, take over. Because in your mind, you're thinking, how do I just stand here and watch them not breathe for this baby or not handle this resuscitation. And then we lose the baby and I'm just standing here and not doing anything. But that's kind of the situation in the hospital that becomes this helpless feeling that I think a lot of doulas can really um, relate to, you know, when they're supporting women in the hospital, but especially us as medical providers who actually know how to do these procedures and we're watching and going, I wouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah, it re- brings back a flashback memory that you I have of you and when we had the mm-hmm. we had a resuscitation one time and the EMT showed up and this young guy was going to take over the chest comp- or whatever we were doing at the time mm-hmm. and you, you looked at him in the eye and you said <laughs> Have you ever resuscitated a newborn before? And I think he stuttered and maybe he said yes the first time and mm-hmm. then you asked him again and he said no, <laughs> and then so we continued and he mm-hmm. was they were happy to have us continue mm-hmm. in the hospital setting. Because of the way the admitting privileges work and the risk management works, you're not as a, as a licensed practitioner. If you're if you're not, you know, credentialed and, and privileged there, you can't touch anything. Mm-hmm. The idea that they would even let you put hot packs on on the other woman's bottom, to me, there are hospitals that wouldn't would have reprimanded you for doing that.
1: Oh yeah, I, and I'm very like you know I'm very delicate about the way that I do those kinds of things because I don't want. You know, I don't want to step on their toes. I don't want to be in their way. I understand that we're there for a reason. And so I really am trying to like work with them at the same time, you know, advocating for my clients for what their options are, you know,
0: and that's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. And so watching this resuscitation
1: was very difficult. It was a 20 minute um, situation and um, the whole time I was talking to the baby and touching the baby and giving the baby love and welcoming him in. And luckily, they didn't ask me to move out of the way, which was really surprising. They let me be there with them. And of course, I stayed out of their way and let them do their job. But at some point, the gentleman who was young man who was leading the resuscitation, I felt like maybe he was being trained because he was so uncomfortable with the process. You could just see. And the doctor, the OB that I didn't really get along with that well. Um, Although she managed the delivery beautifully, I do have to say, I was, I I really don't think that I think that everything she did in the, in the delivery was absolutely appropriate. And um, she said to him, do you need someone else to help you? And he didn't respond. And I said, yes, (laughs) he does. And so they got more people in, thank gosh, because um, he needed some help. And so we were talking about the collaboration with that hospital. It's really cool, actually. I've never seen this done. But they had the doctor from, I don't know the titles very well, residents, attendees, all that stuff, but from the other children's hospital on a monitor that could see what was happening with the baby and was giving them information about what they should be doing. And by the time he got on, it was about 20 minutes. And he's like, okay, it looks like baby's transitioning well. It was still tachycardic, but everything else had kind of stabilized. Um, And another woman that I work with, Julie, she says that she's been at that hospital before and they actually had him up on the screen before the delivery even happened so that when the baby came out, he could help them assess what was happening. Not in,
0: not in your delivery, but in a delivery where they expect there to be a problem, they can actually do that. Yeah. Wow.
1: Which I kind of think they probably should have with this one because the baby's heart rate at one point dipped into 35.
0: Yeah, and I talked to you about that. And and, and even though you, you, you gave a nice compliment to the doctor about how well she managed the delivery, why didn't they expedite the delivery? Why didn't they put a vacuum on or do something 10 minutes earlier?
1: I don't know about that i'm gonna I'm gonna touch base with somebody I know who was also a part of the team and kind of ask him to look at the tracing with me and help me understand a little bit more because um I would like to understand why they decided, you know, they just decided to have her push and not do that. Um, there were some the the tracing that was happening in the room is something that is so classic of what we learn. Um, that the baby will have a problem, you know, where the the heart rate is dipping down into the 80s and then is it accelerating into the 170s. you know, Yeah, we
0: talked about that. It's like it's, what is that called exactly? I well, it's not that. quite yet an agonal rhythm, but mm-hmm. it, but there, but but it's close to that. It's mm-hmm. basically uh, um, you're, you're just seeing, you know, you're seeing severe variable decelerations. And, uh, you know, with, with Rebound. And, the compensation
1: that yeah, goes up. Right. right? And,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, and during that time, they're getting more and more acidotic. And if you watch mm-hmm. it, they, they get deeper, the recoveries get slower, and eventually it just goes down and stays down.
1: Which is which exactly is what, yeah, what yeah. happened. And it's like I c- could see it, the writing on the wall, you know. And so at one point, I mean, this was happening for... At least an hour, maybe longer, and no one was even the the doctor had come in and told the nurse, "Let me know when she's crowning," and then left the room. And um, at one point, we were in there completely by ourselves, and it dipped down into the fifties, and we turned her over, and the nurse came in, and I said, "You know, can you ask the doctor to please come in the room?" And that's when they actually got the delivery yeah, going. Yeah, so
0: it would be interesting if your uh, your colleague could help you to interpret what, why they didn't intervene.
1: Yeah. So to wrap it up, because yeah. I know this whole podcast is not we, about my week. Well, it's
0: going to be because uh, we're going <laughs> to run out of time. But because you still have uh, uh, the rest of the week to go on here. So keep going.
1: Well... The funny thing is, okay, so that took forever. Then it took them two hours to put an IV in this baby before they transported because the doctor on the screen said, I want you to put an IV in before you transport. And it took literally two hours while the mom is sitting there, decided to AMA, is sitting with her baby, has colostrum that she's squeezing out of her breast, and they won't let her nurse. They want to get the IVN because it's faster.
0: And even though the baby at that point has normal tone and, and yeah, the baby and...
1: looked great. Baby started nursing. After they were done getting the IVN, they let her actually like lean up against the table that they have in those hospitals mm-hmm. for the babies, the warmers, and put her breast on the table and nurse him. So let me <laughs> ask let great. me ask
0: a sort of a, a question that's probably a dumb question to ask, but how far away was the transport hospital?
1: Um, I think from there it's probably 20 minutes.
0: by ambulance. Mm-hmm. So they took two 15 hours. Maybe Two hours. <laughs> to put an IV in, when the baby could have been at the other hospital an hour and a half earlier. Well,
1: the the team, the way that they do it is the team from that hospital comes and is actually taking care of the baby and then transports with the baby. So, but yeah, it was it was a really interesting and painful thing to just kind of sit by for two hours while this baby's getting poked multiple times and the mom is sitting there. And so it was really hard. Well,
0: hopefully, you know, if we have any in, in input, there can we can there can be some constructive. Uh, Uh, changes.
1: I hope so. So at the end of this delivery, I look at my team and and I have two more people that I know are due at the end of this month. They're not due yet, but they're due at the end of this month. And um, one of them says, thank God no one else is in labor right now. And I said, oh, these girls are not going to go into labor unless their water breaks. And then one broke. And then the next day, the other one broke. So now I've got two moms who are would One of them is GBS positive, who's declining antibiotics. Um, and I gave them full informed consent. I revisited at 18 hours, which is a risk factor. Um, and then went over the next morning and talked about it again, had them sign an informed consent. Um, but it was it was hair-raising for sure just because I knew that if They didn't actually go into labor, and we ended up having to go into the hospital. Here I am with a mom who is so far outside of what the standard is. Um, And so I finally had to go over and have a talk with the dad and just say, by the way, our options for backup are getting more and more limited, and here's what you will have to deal with if we do go into the hospital. If you continue to decline antibiotics, there's a potential that they might call child protective services, and everything that we are doing here is a safe and supportive bubble, and will support whatever your decisions are. I know you've done your—he's a healthcare provider too. He had done his research. He's very thorough. They were very informed and educated, as, as are
0: most of our clients, yeah, in the, at least down here in, in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so he knew that it was a small percentage, and that there are risks to antibiotics as well, and they chose as is our job to give people informed consent and then let them choose. And, um, she finally delivered last night after doing cast Royal. Um, and, uh, and it was about 60 hours post rupture and it was a beautiful delivery and the baby is absolutely fantastic and there's no signs of any problems whatsoever. So um and now I'm managing a fourth delivery.
0: And we on previous podcasts have talked about GBS and and the pros and cons of treating versus not treating and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So people can look back in the archives on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, this is one of those things where where the you know, when you're not meddling, you're not doing a lot of vaginal exams um with, with ruptured membranes even when positive gbs the option of getting antibiotics or not getting antibiotics should be something that the parents decide mm-hmm. you know the, the thing you and i talked about this briefly uh, you know during that day and and my question was if if this is going to change how they might be managed later on in the hospital what what was their real adver- aversion to getting a dose of antibiotics and you just said basically that they just felt that they didn't want it
1: yeah. They were informed and that was not something that they wanted to do. They There's a risk to everything. And the risk that they were willing to take is that the percentage of this baby getting sick was so low that they would prefer to not treat without having a real indication. So I think they understood because I made it really clear if she ever de- developed a fever during this labor that I was going to feel very differently about them having antibiotics or transporting. Um, And that didn't happen, luckily. So we didn't have to have that. And the dad was so relieved um, that they were able to have this delivery at home. And he held such beautiful space for their choices. And he was also very surrendered. He's like, you know, it was really hard for me to go over and say all those things to him. I know it was really scary. But at the same time, I felt like, you know, when I'm giving somebody choices, I also have to be willing to step up and say what the options are that will be more difficult so that they really do have all the information. Um,
0: so. So, you had, so you had four births?
1: No, the third one is, I mean, the fourth one is laboring right now. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow, okay. So how long has she been ruptured?
1: <laughs> um, we're going on 20, 28 hours. So
0: you're uh, thirty hours? a midwife? A labor support person, uh, a advocate, a placenta, placenta preparation person,
1: childbirth educator, childbirth
0: educator, Mom. mother. I was going to get to that. <laughs> mother, and you got it all done, and you're here doing podcasting with me.
1: Yeah.
0: oh Thanks. thanks I canceled last week, so I know you did. <laughs> like I, had to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to, and come. Yeah, I think you canceled for. And it turned out you probably didn't even need to cancel. I, I think. no,
1: I did. You keep saying that. Oh. I think you had that in your brain. Were the, were that, like, was
0: which... that when the uh, when the that
1: was a hosp that was my hospital support, and I was. Oh, that was a the doula morning. hospital support mm-hmm. person. So there
0: was almost five people then you've had.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, and now I'm going to India in two weeks.
0: You know, we'll have to do some more podcasts while you're in India and then we'll get a good report when you come back. We're
1: going to do podcasts while I'm in no, India? No, before you go. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> we could do a remote podcast. That'd be amazing. We could. We're still trying to get our remote stuff up. We were, we were supposed to have a guest today and she's tied up at the hospital. Yeah. And then uh, we also want to do a, uh, we have a producer of a new film that's coming out and we're going to get him online with us. Uh, yeah. Probably before you go to India, we have to get him on.
1: We'll ask John to help us with some fancy, some fancy things to do something in India.
0: Well, that's, you know, I'm out of breath just listening to your story but I I just want to, I want to recap a couple of other things that that are on my mind, okay, before Mm -hmm. we end today. Um, You know, I think a little bit of last time in the podcast we talked about the 39-week induction thing and how that's one of those things where a paper comes out and then it's sort of then, then there's publicity around it and then there's you know a research by press release and then it becomes a really good idea and it's something that now, rather than just saying that it's something you should counsel people on, it starts to become, it starts to develop a life of its own. And I just, you know, there's a throwaway journal that comes out every week called OBGYN News and the main story on the OBGYN News is um, 39 weeks labor induction reduces cesarean delivery risk for low risk first time mothers and they just basically review the article word for word and come up to the conclusion that it's really safe. There's no increased risk to doing this at 39 weeks. And as a matter of fact, there might be some benefit to it. So it's it's almost like, you know, here's, here's our research. Now we're going to start putting stories out there that so, support our research. And I just want to be sure that people understand that all they're suggesting is, if you even look at the conclusion of the research paper is that this is something that should be concluded into counseling and not something that should be necessarily done but i can tell you that it will be taken by many many people as a suggestion maybe out of convenience who knows what where they'll they'll start saying that this is something that's safer and it yeah. will become some, something that's going to be recommended so just
1: <sighs>
0: just a warning on we're that we're not
1: going to have 42 week mamas anymore
0: yeah and then something else popped up in my in my mind the other in my uh, hold on a second, because I brought my iPad today because my phone I is see. I can't I can't read my phone because the print's too small. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, last couple times I've been a little worried about you. I know.
0: You. <laughs> so I just want to I just want to know um, I just want to say that um, I there was, I get a Google alerts on home birth, and in the last month I've gotten three, where and I've also heard this locally from some people here in SoCal that people who are born at home are having trouble getting passports. Hmm. They're, tell me more about that. Well, there's one in Kansas, one in Texas, and one in... Where's the other one? Um, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these were all home births in the last few years. And they uh, uh, have... You know, they had birth certificates done the normal way. All right. But apparently, there's been some... Uh, there's been accusations of fraud going on in the midwifery community in the southern part of the, near the border. And so now the U.S. government under the Trump administration has tightened up th- things. I think this is why it's becoming more prevalent now. And so some people who are applying for passports with a birth certificate from a home birth in some of the southern states, I don't know if it's happening in the northern states, one of them is Kansas, so I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. But um, they're, they're, they're running into obstacles. Hmm. And two of the women had to contact their US senators. Wow. The Kansas woman contacted her senator and boom, she got the passport like 3 days later but still no explanation after months of of fighting it. Months. And months. Wow. of fighting it. And you know, they want more proof. So it's how do you uh, how do you necessarily have more proof? I mean, you may have photos taken at your house do they want to see your bathtub <laughs> uh, with you know with your with the baby coming out? And with a newspaper from the local newspaper, or or your phone bill, or something in the in the picture.
1: We should we should start encouraging people to do that. Yeah, and just take it just in just, case, just
0: as a, just as a as a meme or a, a something to post on on my Instagram it. account. Yes, do it. Yeah, take pictures when your baby's born. Take a picture next to your 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 phone bill or your electric bill. All right, so that.
1: <laughs> I like I like the newspaper too, actually.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you could. You, yeah. But I'm just saying that I've seen. It's a funny thing that all of a sudden, I never saw these before, mm-hmm. and in the last month or so, I've seen three stories. And if I've seen three stories, there's probably 23 stories. Out well,
1: there. when I got Grant's birth certificate this year so we could go to Mexico, my 16-year-old, um, he was a delayed birth certificate. So I didn't get it done within a year. I was going through a lot. And um, so it's kind of a different form that you have to fill out, but it has to be like notarized and you have to do all this stuff yep. when you do it. Um, so it's even more difficult to get that one than the other one. And they gave me a hard time about it. it I had to give extra information and, um, and I, was, I was thinking that they were not going to give it to me. So that's funny that you brought that up. Uh,
0: uh, yeah.
1: Personal, in- someone right Yeah, and somebody me. else
0: just told me a story recently. They're having this, this sort of the same issue. Hang on, I just took another screenshot here too. Um, Oh, and the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, I'm very happy that my paper got accepted and Mm -hmm. printed and published. And well, again, I guess we'll talk about that in a a subsequent podcast, but I'd like people to go to the banner at my website, birthinginstincts.com, or to my Facebook page right now. Or they can go to BMC, pregnancy and childbirth. Just Google BMC, pregnancy and childbirth, and the journal will come up. And uh, it's in this month's, Edition.
1: Can we put links in the notes? A lot of podcasts. Renee, can we put that.
0: Renee? Can we put links in the notes? <laughs> Hello, Renee. Hello, Renee. <laughs> Come in, Renee. <laughs> Renee, Renee. will do I that. I think we
1: can. Yeah, put a link in the note in the right note, to the podcast notes
0: Right to the to the yeah. T V paper. Yeah.
1: From now on, we'll, we'll we'll try and do that.
0: But you know, I also submitted a, a case report. As you know, I think I told you about it. It's about the interlocking, the twin, yeah. the heads that got sort of interlocked, and that, that case report. And when we submitted it to. Um, the Green Journal, which is the most prestigious OBGYN, OBGYN journal in the, United St- in the America, um, I got a very favorable review from the people there, but um, the they weren't going to print it because they had too many submissions that month, mm. right? So we submitted it to another, another journal, and um, in the Green Journal, reviewer number two gave me a very positive review, and he said, the report does not reflect does reflect the unusual situation of interlocking twins that a delivering obstetrician might potentially encounter. An obstetrician is unlikely to gain expertise in delivery of breech-cephalic twins, so having a report of successful management of interlocking twins might provide a potential option for an obstetrician to attempt, and, a, and I would add, in the case of uh, unexpected mm-hmm. you know, breech-first twins. So you know, that, that's something that's r- very positive. And then today I got an email from the other journal where we did submit it to, Okay, and they basically said, um, "Hang on a sec, I got to find the email because I'm very bad at this sort of thing." <laughs> er, tell us something nice, please.
1: <laughs> well, you know what I was going to say about that um, is, it would be beneficial to have these kinds of things, even if in the states we limit the ability to be able to have these vaginal deliveries because we're doing cesareans on twins so much. But in a lot of other places in the world, they look to the Western way of managing things and how they adapt their medical system. So if we had something like, if you do have this, they're not doing C-sections necessarily. And even in the paper, even
0: in the end of the paper, I say something like, like this, this is not, I'm not necessarily advocating for a breech vertex twins, although there is plenty of literature that supports the idea of a breech first twin, but that this will happen to people who you know unexpectedly, and therefore the skill might be something exactly. that be would be useful. Exactly. Well, you know, this reporter for the other for this journal, it's called um, the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology Research. It's an international journal as well. And <laughs> this reviewer writes. Um, the woman encountered an episode of interlocked twins, which fortunately resolved by manipulation. I truly fail to see the academic merit of this manuscript. It does not show good practice obstetrics, nor it will it contribute to further our knowledge. Since the vast majority of women would elect, with good sense, a cesarean delivery, <laughs> those who won't have a, a very low likelihood to experience those who won't have a very low likelihood to experience a similar situation. Isn't that the point of a case report, though? Is to sort of put I out there. Something that... A
1: one case.
0: It's a one case, yeah, right. Yeah. So this guy, basically, he, 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 he says that with good sense, people should choose a cesarean section, which, of mm-hmm. course, always gets my dander up. Right. But it flies in the face of the, the nice review that I got from the from the Green Journal people. So there's nothing I can do about something like this, but it just goes to show, you know, you don't get to know who these people are. I would love to know who this guy is and mm-hmm. what institution he works at, mm-hmm. or she, for that matter. <laughs> so you
1: go over there and...
0: Yeah, so I go over there and <laughs> knock on his door and... <laughs> Punch him in the mouth. Well, so I, lo- I love Renee. You know our trusty Renee's comment. She goes, she goes, bunch of shit. But we'll keep going. <laughs> That's what she says. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said, I said, not all that surprising. My opinion of academia is reinforced. <laughs> that was that was my opinion.
1: I was thinking, what's that saying that they say about opinions and assholes? That everyone has, has one. Everyone has one. That's what I was thinking.
0: Some people have more than one.
1: <laughs> more than one asshole. I suppose. I don't know about that. Is that true?
0: Uh, it, well, <laughs> there's the asshole on the top of their neck and there's the asshole on the other, you know, never mind. Never All mind. Right, we're getting really off the <laughs> track. <laughs> All right, so anyway, this, is, this has been um, really good to hear about a day in your a week in your life a week in your life well it's, it seems like a day doesn't it because it really never stopped
1: right it just kept going and going and I
0: love listening to you so this was this is, mm, uh, I hope other people I think, I think this is this is the Dr. Bliss podcast with, <laughs> with sidekick Dr. Stu today
1: Aww, it was,
0: I really appreciate you know get some rest Thank because I know you. you're going to be up again tonight probably yeah
1: I am thanks for having me
0: thanks for uh, thanks for being you <laughs> alright so everybody can find us on uh, drstuspodcast.com you can find us on iTunes give us some likes give us some likes on Facebook share All that stuff, read my paper, and uh, we love you all. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you at the next podcast.
1: Bye-bye.